Good morning. Happy Mother's Day once again. Welcome uh, to Christ Community Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you're here with us if you're visiting. Uh, again, I, I, I try to say this every week or as often as I have opportunity, but um, if you're visiting, don't run off. Stay for a minute or two at least and let us get to know you. And to the congregation, uh, reach out to the person next to you and just greet one another in the Lord. Um, so this morning, we are, we are not preaching a Mother's Day sermon. In some ways, it's, uh, it is both all about Mother's Day and very not about Mother's Day. And that may sound like a strange word to you, but the text is uh, the blessings and curses of God. And we, what I would say is mothers are a blessing from the Lord, right? Um, and so, in that sense, all the blessings of God are good, and one of those is our mother. So, so that's, there's my Mother's Day sermon for you, as I say this to my mom. But this is a hard text that we're about to go into. Last week, we finished the Ten Commandments, and over the next couple of weeks, we'll wrap up uh, our study in Deuteronomy. Uh, and this text, this is maybe one of the hardest chapters um, in Scripture that you, will, that you will read. We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, but just as, a, as an aside, I want you to know a sort of what my thought process is and in not including the whole thing. First off, off it's about uh, 68 verses. It's a, it's a long section, and I wanted to read from the New Testament as well. Secondly, I thought it would be helpful to pull out what I think is the nub or the point of the text, uh, what stands as most uh, significant in the text, um, that the other stuff that is included in the text speaks to these points. Um, but having said that, I, 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 on third point is, um, because it's such a challenging text, I was worried we would get bogged down. As a preacher, I'd get bogged down in trying to work through some of the really, really difficult portions of this. And I'd, I thought there, there are good forums for that. Uh, Sunday school, a community group, different areas where we can bring up those tough things and we can have a dialogue and talk about it and wrestle together. But because this is a sermon, I wanted to get to the heart of the text. And so what I've included here is the heart of the text. And I would encourage you to go back and read the rest of it. And then when you have your questions, which you will, come to me and we can talk about it some more. Um, But this is the heart of the text. So with that, uh, we're going to be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to read the first nine verses. Then we'll read 15 to 20, 64 to 68. And then we'll we'll also be going into Galatians chapter 3. Um, a little bit as well. So, hear God's word. Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall be you be in the city And blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, uh, shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Uh, Verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way. And flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God has given you. 
The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. But, verse 15, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all the commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration, and all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed. Perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds, because you have forsaken me. Verse 64. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your help to understand these difficult words. Uh, Lord, we need to see Jesus clearly. And so reveal him to us. Remind us of his great work and his great love. Uh, For we ask this in his name. Amen. Blessings or curses, obedience or disobedience. These were the two paths for the ancient Israelites as they reflected on the law that was just restated to them over the course of time, and as they waited there on the outskirts of the promised land, stood, they stood there, had they had listened to the law, and they had heard the blessings and the cursings. Well, on one hand, uh, there must have been great excitement and anticipation about entering the promised land and enjoying all the great blessings of God. But on the other hand, I imagine there was also a deep-seated doubt Right? That they would be able to measure up and obey. Uh, There's a pretty silly movie from the early 2000s um, with Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson. I know this seems like a far stretch from where I'm 
came out, but just bear with me for a second. Uh, it was, it was, I, I don't even know, I, I think I saw the movie, but I remember the quote for some reason, so I must have. But um, and it was this movie called Shanghai Nights. It was silly. Um, at one point, Jackie Chan is calling for Owen Wilson to do some crazy stunt to escape their situation. And if you know anything about Jackie Chan, he's a martial artist, and he is well known for his... Um, his acrobatics, I don't know a better way to put it. He's kind of like an amazing, um, just an amazing acrobat. He could do all sorts of stunts. Um, Owen Wilson, not so much. And Owen Wilson just looks at him. They were partners. And, and he says, what in our history together makes you think I'm capable of something like that? You can imagine the Israelites sitting there thinking, Lord, what in our history together makes you think we're capable of this? And yet it was the only way for them. And so it is with us in the law too, isn't it? After months of looking at the Ten Commandments and all the ways in which we find to break them, neat and novel ways, this section on blessings and curses can seem overwhelmingly bleak. And we cry out, Lord, what in our history together makes you think we can do this? And the truth is, we're not capable, are we? At least apart from Christ, who becomes a curse for us. Enduring the wrath of God that we deserve. And this, of course, is where I want us to land this morning. It's where I want us to set down. We're going to land on that hope. Christ became a curse that you might receive the blessings of life in God through Christ. That's our hope. That's our, that's our, that's our security, our only station. But before we get to Jesus, we need to spend a little bit of time in our text in Deuteronomy. So we'll look at this text in three parts. These texts, I should say, in three parts. First, there is only one way of life and blessing, and that's obedience. And the second thing is, um, our te- life and obedience. And then secondly, and I, I double-sided my notes, which I never do. Secondly, Christ obeyed the Lord and became a curse for us that we might have life and blessing And then finally, we want to look at the way of life and blessing, which is to trust and obey. Those are the three places that we're going to go uh, this morning. So first, there is only one way of life and blessing, and that is obedience. Our text begins with the blessing of obedience for the Israelites. Verse 1 stands as the summary statement. It says, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments then I command, that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. There are a few things to note about this statement to help us understand both the extravagance of the blessing as well as to understand the horror later on of the cursing. The first thing to note is the repetition of the name of God. Um, It's not an atypical construction here that we have, but you'll notice it's repeated a few times. It says, the Lord your God. If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God and being careful to do all the commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all. 
all the nations of the earth. And again in verse 2, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Do you notice that repetition? And you'll notice also, and I've probably noted this before, but you'll have those capital letters that ESV uh, does that to signify the difference of two different words. Uh, This word being the name, the covenant name of God himself. Right. So Lord there, when you see that word, this is the covenant name. It was the name that God told Moses at the burning bush. Moses said, who who are you? I am that I am. I am the self-existent one. But I am that I am is going to lead you out of Egypt, he told Moses. You're going to deliver my people. I'm going to redeem them. And as they went through all the trials of the Exodus and went through the wilderness, that I am, that covenant Lord was the one who was faithful to them through and in and throughout their journey and through in and throughout their own sin. He was the faithful one. And when you see this name, the Lord, you need to remember that reality. He's speaking his covenant name to his people. And he repeats it over and over again. The Lord. And notice it says, the Lord, your God. One of the, one of the covenant na- ways I like to think about uh, uh, this relationship is, if you're going to summarize the covenant relationship, this is a good way to put it, to say, um, you, God says, you are mine and I am yours. You are my people and I am your God. I am with you always. This idea of them being bound together, even in the midst of their brokenness and sin, he's their God. I am your God, the Lord your God. So that's the very first thing that we note with the covenant name. But embedded in this name are a few other things. One is that it describes God as the self-existent one, the only true God. The I am, the one who says, there is no other but me. And entailed in that concept is this idea that that he has made all things and that he has endowed his creatures with his his image. These, These men and women, he said, you are my image bearers on this earth. You hold a place of dignity. And, and so when he's saying, I am, has called you his own, he's saying, the Lord of heaven and earth has called you to be his people, the one who created you, the one who redeemed you from Egypt. So for the Israelites hearing these opening words to the blessings and curses, they are emphatically reminded who it is that is doing this. The God who made them. And all things, the great I am, the one who redeemed them from Egypt and said, I know these people, they are mine and I am theirs. He's the one who loves them and leads them. He's the one who will bless them and set them high above all the nations of the earth. The second thing to note about this first verse is how all-encompassing it is. Their obedience was to be complete. No part of the law was to be left aside. And the blessing was to be complete. There was to be no area of life untouched by the good hand of God. We especially see this as we move down through the following verses. Just note, uh, the way that it's written out is sort of to, to kind of grab everything. Notice this. So first, blessed in the blessed in the city and blessed in the field. In other words, there's no place where the blessings will not reach you. Whether you're in the city or you're out in the country, you will be blessed. Blessed in the fruitfulness 
not just of your womb, of your children, but of your harvest and of your livestock, that it will be a producing people. You will be productive, blessed in all that you, you have. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. In the home, you'll have the fruit of, of, of the, the basket where all the various things you collect will be there, the fruit and the food and the bread and the, the, the kneading bowl and the, the, the daily sustenance. In other words, all the food would be a blessing to you. You would never be hungry. Blessed when you go in and when you come out, your comings and your goings, they would be goodbyes. It's, it's hard to say goodbye, goodbye uh, to the Grottens. But it is a goodbye. Because they're leaving to go and to be a blessing elsewhere and to minister to the people down in, in Chile. But all of our comings and goings would be good. If only that were the case in this life. You'll be blessed in battle. Your enemies who rise against you will be defeated before you. There'll be no defeat. You'll be the ones who are doing the defeating. Even though they rise against you, you will conquer them. And they will be scattered in every which way. They will no longer be a threat. You'll be blessed in your workplaces, in the fields, and in the barns. And there were more blessings that I didn't even include. But you can kind of see how everywhere that you go in the promised land, as you obey, God would bless The blessings were all-encompassing, no area of life untouched. And this covenant relationship with this covenant-making God was at the heart of it all. Verse 9 restates the relationship. It says that the Lord would establish them as his holy people. That is, a people set apart, distinct from all the other peoples of the earth, upon whom the Lord has put his love and affection. But the section of blessings ends with this word. If. It's a condition. If. It's a big if, isn't it? We use that language. It's a big if. Maybe this is the biggest if of all. If you obey. The blessings of life and land were contingent on their obedience. See, there was another side of the coin here. That all-encompassing blessing on the other side of the coin was this all-encompassing cursing of God for disobedience. Rather than life was death. Verse 15 says, But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Notice the mirror language here. The curses would come upon and overtake just as the blessings would in verse 2. Do you notice that? The, the blessings would come upon them and overtake them as if it was like a wave of blessing upon blessing. But it was the same with the curses for disobedience. As I was picturing this, I had another... I don't make a lot of movie references occasionally. Uh, there's a, another TV show that I've watched in recent years called Stranger Things. And there is this upside down. Right? It's, like, it's like the world... But it's everything turned on its head. I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you haven't, don't don't worry about it. But it's a grotesque place. A terrible place. 
It's the opposite of every blessing. Cursed is the city in the field. Cursed is the basket in the kneading, kneading bowl. Cursed be the fruit of your womb, your fields and your flocks. Cursed you will be in your comings and goings. Cursed will you be in your work. And if we were to spend the rest of our time going through the curses, it would take a long time to get through 68 uh, verses there uh, of cursings. It's all-encompassing. And if we were to look at every single one of the curses, if we were to go down through them, uh, you would be shocked. And you would say, it's like hell on earth. And that's the point. Disobedience to God brings hell. Utter devastation instead of life brings death. And this is what was ultimately promised to Adam and Eve in the garden, wasn't it? Uh, Disobey me, eat of the tree that I have forbidden you to eat, and you will surely die. And as soon as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happens? What is, God comes and meets them, and does he bless them? He curses them. But in the curse, of course, there's blessing. We'll get to that in a minute. And even as life remains for a time, the dread and terror of the wrath and curse of God weighs heavily on the heart. We see this in the Psalms. The psalmist described this experience of the cursing of God for sin in Psalm 32, or that feeling of of disobedience. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's that feeling. Verse 66 here in Deuteronomy, Moses describes it similarly to David. He says, Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, If only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. The curses end In 68, the curses end by saying that the curse is so bad that even slavery in Egypt sounds better, but you won't even be able to escape to that. How bad could it be? As I read through all the curses, and I was preparing for the sermon, and again, I encourage you to do it. not taking our time here, but I encourage you to do this on your own. I was struck by the horror of it all. But the other thing that struck me was that it felt as if Moses was trying to paint a terrible, as terrible, a picture as he could. And yet it felt, as I read it, that it was still just a picture. It was like Moses trying to paint the most worst, the, 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 the worst picture that he could possibly paint. And yet you felt like he kept adding to it over and over again because everything he would add to it's like, that's not quite enough. We don't understand the curse of God quite enough. I need to add some more to it. That's how it felt when you, when you go through and you read the, the, through the chapter. 
just as an aside, I've been trying to learn to draw and paint recently on my own. I find it somewhat relaxing, and, and, and yet I do find it frustrating. Because as I paint or draw, I look at my works and say, it doesn't quite capture the essence of what I'm trying to do. Have you ever done that? You've created something, and you really want that thing to be beautiful, or you want that thing to represent something, and it's, it's not quite there. Well, that's how it, I, it felt when I read through this section of Moses. The horror of the curses here in Deuteronomy 28 in some way don't fully capture the horror of the curse of God. And I don't think we fully comprehend what it means for us to rebel against the great I am. The one who is sovereign. Who is the Lord of heaven and earth. I think fundamentally we look think fairly little of our sin. And we think a lot of ourselves. And so we think a little bit of God. And yet when we're confronted with a text like this, we're shocked by the penalty of our sin. That's a, a question to ask. How lightly do we look at our sin? What's before us ought to wake us up to the reality of the wrath and curse of God that is due to us on account of that sin. Ugh. This text, as shocking as it is, is not nearly as shocking of the truth that's found in Galatians chapter 3. Let's turn there. Christ obeyed the Lord, his Father, and came to earth to become a curse for us that we might have life and blessing. That is maybe the most radical truth. That the Lord of glory sent his one and only Son, who enjoyed all the the power and authority and glory and, and fellowship of the triune God in heaven, and he came to earth to become a curse. The rest of the Old Testament is the story of Israel's failure to obey, isn't it? And their removal from the land and their experience of the curses described in Deuteronomy. We could go through and we could say, oh, I see that curse in this section of uh, Kings or Chronicles or wherever. But I think we'll fundamentally misread Deuteronomy and the law and all its demands along with the, the blessings and the curses if we miss the hope of the gospel. All along, throughout our series of Deuteronomy, I've been pointing us forward to the one covenant keeper, the true Israelite who would come and fully obey all the commands of God. God knew when he, when, when he was delivering these words through Moses to his people, God knew that they would fail, that Israel would fail. He didn't desire them to fail. He longed for them to taste and see the blessings he had in store for them, but he knew they would. And, and even Moses will say, I know, later in chapter 30, he says, I know you're going to fail. Like Owen Wilson to Jackie Chan, God knew who they were. They were a stiff-necked, rebellious people who chased after other gods. 
And this isn't just true of Israel, is it? I'm in that camp. You're in that camp. All of us are stiff-necked. All of us chase after other gods. All of us rebel and disobey and seek our own glory. We read it just a little bit ago in our, uh, in our, in our liturgy. All of us deserve the wrath and curse of God. And so God sent the only one able to redeem us from under the curse. Galatians 3 puts it this way. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but this law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. No one is justified. No one is declared innocent and righteous before God by works of the law. The law, as Paul says in Romans 3.20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, the law is meant to show us our desperate straight state not to save us. But in another sense, it is obedience to the law that saves us. What, Rob, you've just been talking about how that's not the case. No, it's not our obedience. We put our faith in the one who faithfully obeys. That's what we do. We put our faith and trust in Christ. Christ himself perfectly obeyed the Father, and he did so by hanging on a tree, by becoming a curse, by bearing the wrath of God, by dying the death we deserve. It's shocking to see our sin. It is so much more shocking to see the love of Christ. To see the grace of Christ. All the horror that is described in Deuteronomy fell on Christ. And through him becoming a curse, we become the blessed. The blessings of heaven belong to us. We are declared righteous, justified, not by the works of the law, but by faith in the one who endured hell. Friends, do you guys see your sin for what it is? Cosmic treason. But much more importantly, do you see Jesus for who he is? The glories of the God who came and was cursed that we might enjoy the all-encompassing blessings of heaven. Do you see Jesus? The one who was cursed in place of you. What a Savior. What a Savior. I want to close by thinking one last time about the law, its blessings and cursings, but this time from the vantage point of the cross. The law stands as the way of life and of blessing. It's a call to trust and obey. There's a temptation for us to think, well, Jesus became a curse for me, so the law and all its terror has no more valid role in my life because it can't give me life. And so it doesn't really matter how I live because Christ died for me. And it's true, the law doesn't give you life. It's true, it shows us our sin and it points us to Jesus, but I would argue that it still plays a role in your life. You no longer fall under the condemnation of it. 
you are forgiven, you are set free, you are justified. But the law remains that way. The way of life. Not a means to life. And as we consider Christ who endured hell on our account. As we consider him. As we look and say he has set us free to live. To enjoy all of life and his blessings. So the law of God remains as that pasture, if you will, of freedom. It's the, it's the place of freedom. And yet, I think we often view the law as prohibitive. We talked about this in our Sunday school class a little bit ago. We think of it as keeping us down, as hampering our freedom, of, of keeping us from truly living life. But God sets his law in place as the king of creation to bless us. To bless us. And in as much as we love God and Christ, his Son, our Savior, and in as much as we love one another, we receive the blessings of God. There's freedom. As we follow in his way, we'll find blessing and not cursing. We'll find life and joy and fullness, even as we limit ourselves. That sounds opposite, right? We think of the law as limiting, but in reality, the law sets us free by limiting us, by showing us this path and not this path, the path that leads away from God, that leads towards destruction, that ultimately will bring us into captivity. He says, no, this law is the way of freedom into life. And I realize how difficult this path is. Impossible, really. Yet, in Christ... He not only takes upon himself the curse that we deserved, he promises to help us, to send us a spirit to live in us and to to enable us, to strengthen us, to empower us to live and to obey. The old hymn says it well, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Do you see that trust? Faith in Christ, trusting in him as the one who is the propitiation for our sins, who took upon himself the wrath and curse, and to trust in that finished work, that obedience, and then to follow in the path of Christ in his way, the way of life. Trust and obey. There's there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess uh, that we're overwhelmed sometimes by... The law and all its demands. And we look at our life and we think, Lord, I can't do it. I know my heart and it's sinful and I'm not strong. But Lord, we thank you for Christ who obeyed perfectly. We thank you for the spirit who enables us to walk in faith and newness of life. Lord, help us to see the freedom that you've set before us, the life and the blessing that comes through obedience, and Lord, the pain and hardship that comes through turning from you and from your way. But Lord, help us to rest in Jesus. For we pray this in his name.